Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Tribal music going there, Germanic tribal music. I'm hopefully going to talk a little bit about our deterioration into tribalism in our society. We'll make that part of the show this morning. Uh, part of the problem of picking a song is I didn't want to pick an African tribal song because I didn't want to offend any of our African American listeners who might think that I was being prejudiced. Um, I look for some Jewish tribal songs, but they were mostly pop songs about the 12 tribes of Israel. Then I looked at some Irish tribal songs, which are pretty similar to the Germanic, and I thought, well, you know, who's going to argue with the Germanic tribal song? So that's what I picked for this morning. How'd that sound, Ken? Is it well, as a, okay? as a German-American, I got to tell you, you Doc, I, I you like the like choice. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a war song, by the way. That's when they were getting ready to take on the Romans, when the Romans were coming across the uh, the Rhine. You know, the Rhine was the northern uh, boundary of the Roman Empire, at the height of the empire. And, and so what the Teutonic tribe saw was uh, Julius Caesar having his engineers build a, a bridge across the Rhine, which was like uh, watching for us in the 1960s uh, a launch of one of our rockets with, with the Apollo capsule on it. You know, they were like, wow, this is pretty high-tech stuff. Of course, that didn't deter them from fighting, and eventually they did defeat the Germans and push them back across the Rhine, and that's how it became the northern border. But you might not know this, Ken, but a lot of the cities along the Rhine, on the southern side of the Rhine, they were the old Roman uh, fortress cities, uh, like Basel and uh, Köln and all those cities up and down the Rhine, Schreborg, they They were the cities that the Romans set up, and there's still Roman buildings and influence there. It's pretty cool to see. If you ever get a chance, take a take a boat ride down the Rhine or up the Rhine, whichever way you want to go. My wife and uh, we, we've actually been talking about that. Her her lineage is is Irish, and I'm I'm German, so we've been to Ireland. So now next one is going to be German. So we've been thinking about going up and down the Rhine. So that'd be pretty it cool. It is. It's really cool. It's really nice. You'd love it, and uh, you'll see you'll see architecture dating back two thousand years. Uh, we took a boat ride across the Rhine when we were in Basel in Switzerland. Uh, we went from the upper city to the northern shore down to the lower city, the new city, and uh, had lunch on the river. And the upper city is built up on a hill. And the guy, he had his boat on uh, a guy wire, and uh, he would just turn his rudder one way or the other, depending on whether he was going uh, north or south, and let the stream push him across. And I said, that's pretty ingenious. Who figured that out? And he said, the Romans, <laughs> 2,000 years ago. I said, really? He said, yeah. He, he didn't exactly <laughs> patent the technology, did he? <laughs> no, it, no, apparently it wasn't new. But it was pretty neat. I mean, it was a good idea. Well, I'm glad, to hear, I'm glad to hear that survived World War II and all that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, everything survived World War II except for the Jewish side of the family. Mm. Took a little hit there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Germany's been built back up and most of Eastern Europe's been built back up. Uh, it, it's fascinating to see how much influence the Romans had. Speaking of tribalism, the, the Romans started off as a tribe and uh, they encompassed, gosh, Europe, Eastern, uh, Western Asia, Northern Africa, the British Isles. Yeah, they got pretty far. Pretty cool. They did okay. Yeah, they did all right. They did okay. So uh, one of the nurses at the hospital, she was railing against Trump and him talking about uh, the Plaquenil, which, of course, I hit on off and on over the, over the past several months. And she said, oh, well, he quoted some Nigerian doctor who said that uh, we had alien DNA and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I said, show me the quote, because it was just a blurb on CNN, you know, it's more pablum for the, for the, uh, for the weak who don't want to really investigate and emotionally driven. Of course, I waited five minutes and she couldn't find anything. And I started walking out of the intensive care unit and she said, aren't you going to wait? I said, you know, my number, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting to hear from her. <laughs> Because he didn't say that. <laughs> well, you know, not only that, what Nigerian doctor? Give me a name. Give yeah. me a video. Give me something, for God's sakes. By the way, we're streaming live on Facebook and hopefully on a few other social media. Are you looking at it? How's it look? Me? Uh, did you? Because I just befriended, uh, friended you today. Did you Did you answer me? Because I can't see it until you tell me we're friends. Oh, I have to befriend you? Yeah, you have to You have to not defriend me. You have to befriend me, befriend I guess. Me. Yes. Oh. So I sent you a friend request somewhere in your system. We'll take care of that for next week, but I can't see you this week, unfortunately. All right. Well, i got to figure out how to do this for everybody in the world and not just for those who have befriended me. You'd have to make your account public, I think, is the way to do that. I thought I'd done that. Oh, well, well we'll figure it out next yeah, week. because I can't see it, so maybe we'll figure it out during the week. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting it. I mean, I've got this gorgeous image of the S-protein, uh, the uh, the little little corona that sticks off, the little thing that sticks off of the uh, COVID virus. Mm-hmm. I've got, a, I've got a, 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 a colored image of it behind me on my, on my green screen. It's pretty cool looking. Green screen? Um, You're pretty advanced over there, Doc. Yeah. Hey, listen, I'm hot stuff, baby. <laughs> I like it. On a stick. <laughs> so now the big debate is, because uh, the administrator of the hospital, he said, what do you think of the Plaquenil? And I said, I've been taking it off and on for months. And of course, my sisters will say, oh, you're just following Trump. But I was taking it long before Trump could even spell it. So uh, at any rate, he said, well, some of the Hindu doctors have been telling me they're taking it and that it's pretty common in India because, you know, in southern India, there's still uh, malaria. And it's uh, it's an old time prophylaxis against the malaria uh, amoeba, which is an intracellular parasite gets in the red blood cells primarily. And, of course, we know that the covid virus is intracellular. So the, we think that the Plaquenil works similar to the way that it works in preventing the amoeba virus uh, in that it alters the pH inside the cell. I've told you guys that before. So at any rate, I said, yeah, I'm taking it. And he said, do you think I should take it? I said, yeah, try it. Why not? So I gave him a, I gave him a 90-day supply out of our cachet. You know, we actually bought several hundred hits of it. Does that sound like I'm a street deal? <laughs> <laughs> 
several hundred hits of hydroxychloroquine <laughs> Plaquenil back in late February. <laughs> you got a kilo. <laughs> I got a kilo, man. I'm pressing that stuff out <laughs> over in my pharma. <laughs> that and the toenail gel, too. So at any rate, I got this stuff, and uh, I gave it to him, and I told him to take it every other day. And he said, well, the Hindu doctors are taking it two or three times a week. I said, whatever. You know, the only downside is is the loose stools or the diarrhea once or twice a day. But I figure that's a small price to pay. And it keeps me thin, thin, thin. So at any rate, he, I got him hooked on that. And then the assistant administrator is like, well, what do you think of the zinc and vitamin C? Everybody in the hospital's taking the zinc and vitamin C as prophylaxis against the virus. I said, I'll look into it. And guess what? I did. You know what? What'd you find? I, I can find a lot of uh, maybe ifs, you know, suppositions and all that, but Honestly, I can't find anything that actually shows that it works. Um, I can't find anything that actually uh, says that taking this will help prevent the virus. Uh, There's a lot of supposition. Now, there's this zinc finger antiviral protein that we make. And I'm sure that this is where Dr. Balcazar, our world-famous infectious disease doctor who has by the way, the best batting average in our division, West Florida, and probably in the country for saving people from this virus because of the cocktail that she's come up with, not without the help of Dr. Bill, of course, but uh, she's really the genius behind this, or the engine, I should say. It's, you know, it's people standing on each other's shoulders. But at any rate, so this CG dinucleotide is the, uh, is the, supposed uh, protein that helps fight viruses, and it has to do with interferon, which is released uh, in response to certain viral infections and certain cancers in our system to help fight these things off. You know, we're always making abnormal cells that could become cancer cells, so we have to fight those off, and we're always having bacteria and viruses get into our system, and we have to fight those off. So at any rate, this thing, it's a big protein, and it has Uh, zinc in the middle of it that holds it together. Well, it makes sense that if you are deficient in zinc, you're not going to make adequate amounts of this protein, and you're not going to adequately fight off viral infections and other things that this protein helps protect against. So I can understand that there is uh, some theory behind this that perhaps we're all deficient in zinc or that perhaps taking more zinc will push this, uh, this process forward and you'll make more of this certain protein that will fight off viruses. Now, I, I don't see any proof of that, Ken, but you know I understand the, uh, the logic behind it. Now, the vitamin C thing came from a study in 2017. You know, Linus Pauling, the, uh, the uh, world-famous physicist chemist who I think got a Nobel Prize back in the 60s or 70s, he was a big proponent of vitamin C because of its antioxidant effects. That proved not to be uh, of much value to take megadoses of vitamin C. We haven't seen any benefit from that, although we know that vitamin C deficiency, which is called scurvy, you might have heard of that, scurvy dogs. I have, yes. Mm -hmm. And a scurvy dog, a dog was a, a sailor, a seaman, And before we knew that vitamin C was the treatment for this or the prophylaxis, uh, 
sailors with scurvy were called scurvy dogs. Uh, terrible disease, terrible disease. Affects the skin and the gums, causes hemorrhaging, teeth uh, fall out. Um, you have uh, bleeding into your joints. It's a terribly painful way to die. And before the uh, discovery that certain foods had something in it that was good to prevent scurvy, uh, there were a lot of a lot of sailors that died from it because they ate mostly hardtack and, and biscuits, beef jerky, so to speak, and, and biscuits because that's what you could preserve. You could preserve dried out biscuits and you'd soften them up with some water or rum and you'd, uh, you know, chew on your hardtack and you may not get fruits or vegetables until you get to the next port, which could be months away if you're going across the Atlantic. So at any rate, the... English doctors discovered that if you gave these people lemon or lime, that uh, this would prevent the scurvy. So then limes were placed on all the British naval ships and then eventually the commercial ships too, and the British sailors became known as limeys. I had no idea that's where that came from. That's where that came from. And now the Koreans had figured this out earlier in history when they started uh, preserving kimchi, which is cabbage, uh, in jars. They'd, you know, put it in salt and brine and, you know, vinegar, whatever, and they'd bury it underground. And then somebody figured, hey, why don't we throw some spices in here and let's throw an anchovy or two. And, you know, now it's become a big a big uh, art. Uh, it's a big cooking art in, in Korea, and a lot of the old women will pr- prepare it. And you even have a little refrigerator you keep out on the back porch that you can put your kimchi jar in. And so they would bury this in the summer, and then in the winter they'd dig it up, and they had vegetables with vitamin C in it. And it hadn't been cooked, so the vitamin C hadn't broken down. So the Koreans, and I'm sure that other cultures in that area, didn't have a problem with scurvy because of, thankfully, what the Koreans discovered. It may have been serendipity. They probably ate it because they liked it. You know, the Koreans, they, they're like the Italians. Food is everything. It is the beginning and the end. They plan for a meal before they finish the, the one they're at. So at any rate, scurvy is a terrible disease, and we know that vitamin C is the prophylaxis and the treatment for it. Now, there's another study out called the HAT study, which is uh, hydroxycortisone, and we're using high doses of cortisone and cortisone-like agents for the the, uh, the coronavirus, COVID virus. We're using... Uh, the, the big thing now is the dexamethasone, although you can use prednisone or methylprednisolone or any of them if you just get the right dosage, it'll, they all work the same way, basically. And then there's also uh, the use of thiamine and vitamin C, ascorbic acid. So then you have the HAT, hydroxychloroquine, I mean hydroxycortisone, uh, ascorbic acid, and thiamine, which somebody decided might be a good way to treat sepsis. And so now that's fallen into uh, the research pipeline. And uh, in some of the retrospective studies, it looks like it did some good. But uh, as uh, other researchers have pointed out, uh, you don't know if that's because there was more uh, intense uh, care for those who were receiving this, if they, if they were considered better candidates, if there was a bias in it. Uh, they're called confounders. They're little little ditzels that come into studies that can influence it adversely and give you false data. And so we don't know for sure, 
I mean, it sounds good, uh, and we don't know if you have to give it early or late. And it looks like in the studies where it works, it was given early. So we don't know if those people who were septic, and that's from having a bacterial infection in your bloodstream that takes hold of your body, we don't know if it's because they also got antibiotics early on, uh, that they got better care early on. So there's a number of factors. So at this point, <clears throat> I can't find anything that says that vitamin C uh, or uh, ascorbic acid, as the other name is, or thiamine or zinc or any of these uh, necessary vitamins and minerals that we have to have to survive as human beings in mega doses do any good. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try it. Uh, I'm not saying that. But for those of you who are wondering, should I be taking mega doses of this? I would, uh, I would say I don't know. Uh, I don't see any hard evidence that it works. Uh, it certainly can't hurt you because these are fairly innocuous. It's hard to overdose on any of these except perhaps zinc, zinc being a heavy metal. Heavy metals are toxic to us if they're in uh, too big a doses in our body. So we have to be careful with that. Now, as far as the COVID virus goes and opening the schools, as you know, I'm a proponent of opening the schools up. Let's get everybody back and moving. And, uh, you know, the criticism is that the kids will bring the virus home to the grandparents. Well, you know, we're going to still have to sequester the old, the old P-H-A-R-T-S. Does that make sense? I know where you're going on that one. Yeah. <laughs> My age and up. Almost being one, I know what you mean, yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> so that's what the wife calls me anyway. And boldly in Korean, but I know what it means. I've figured it out over the years. So uh, we need to certainly protect the elderly so we don't let it rip through that population too quickly. But uh, the kids, it doesn't look like it's going to do a whole lot of damage there. So, I mean, if you die, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, until we have a vaccine, what are you going to do? Live in a bubble? Uh, that ain't going to work. You know, everything will melt down. There'll be no flow of cash. The Democrats will use up what's there. And then all of a sudden, everything will stop and you'll be in a major depression. And that's what happened in the 1929 era. So we got to get the kids back to school. Um, if you want to give them extra doses of vitamin C, it can't hurt. Uh, if you're deficient in zinc or vitamin C, you very well need to get on that. And does thiamine have a place in this? Who knows? A lot of this is supposition and medicine like uh like in the lay press, there are fads that come and go, you know, and drugs come into favor and they go out of favor. That's human nature, I do believe. I think so. I'm not sure, but I do think that that's human nature. So we got this S protein, which is uh, behind me if you're watching me on, on the Facebook, and it is a pretty complex protein. And that's what we're building our antibodies to. And that's how we're attacking the virus with the... Uh, uh, with the uh, vaccines, Ken. So we're, we're making antibodies. We're stimulating the production of antibodies to this protein, and we're taking this protein, hooking it on to the less, uh, less virulent viruses like this adenovirus I talked about last week or like the genetically engineered protein that, uh, that's uh, uh, coming out from, what, what's the name of the company that Trump's been pushing here in the United States. Um, I'm not sure which one. There's so many of them working on them right now. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. The one that... Uh, Madeira? No, it wasn't Madeira, was it? I think it's Madeira, Is yeah. Is it Madeira? 
Okay. Yeah, I think it's Madeira. They've got one that is uh, hooked to a, a genetically engineered protein, and so this is uh, this is a, a big deal. You know, this protein is sticking off. It's it's easy to pick off. You know, it's like the guy sticks his head up in the trenches. You're going to shoot at him. You know, so. <laughs> These little things that are sticking off of the virus, that's what we're shooting for. Let's get those because it's easier to get a, a, a protein, an antibody protein to attach to that than to try to work its way down to the surface of the capsule of the virus. So, uh, you know, this is all pretty, you know, as complex as it is, it, there's analogies that you can make in every uh, macro and micro aspect of life and the universe and whatever. And they're so. in third stage uh, trials, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the 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 AstraZeneca is in stage three. They're they're produced. They're in production now. They're quietly producing that. I think they're going to have three hundred million doses by this fall. All right. Excellent. And guess who wants to be in the front of the line? The doctor. Absolutely. And not only this doctor, but a lot of doctors. I saw a poll that was done, and doctors are. Uh, overwhelmingly, well, not overwhelmingly, but uh, there's more doctors who were polled that want the vaccine right away, no holds barred, uh, than any other segment of the population that they have polled, including nurses. Well, you guys are on the front lines. I can understand that. Yeah, plus, you know, we understand a little bit more about this, and it's not as scary to us, you know. Are you going to get Gillian Berets? Are you going to get autism? And of course, I told you about marital autism. I was hoping for a little case of that. Uh, <laughs> but the, the wife said no. <laughs> now, I was talking to my brother the other day, and I, we were about vaccines. And he said, well, I don't think I'll be getting mine for a while. I want to see what happens to everybody else. And, okay, well, don't That's get the fine. disease then. Stay locked up. Well, you know what? If people don't want to get it, that's fine. It gets me further up in the line. There so, you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't want your uh, if you don't want your broccoli, I'll eat it. I like broccoli. Well, cheese broccoli on for it. Me. Put some cheese on it. I'm fine. Yeah, cheese it up, baby. Yeah. Cheese it up. <laughs> uh, so can so here's some of the other things that are coming out. You know, can concomitant use of zinc and curcumin curcumin with other immunity boosting new nutraceuticals be the arsenal against COVID. Curcurum easy for is, you to say, pal. You know. Yeah, curcurum is, yeah, I don't know. Curcurum is, uh, as you know, it's the uh, spice that comes from India, and the Indians, some of the Indian doctors were touting that. But then uh, one of my friends, uh, who Hemant, who's a little bit more uh, well-read than some of his other colleagues, our colleagues, uh, he said there's no proof of that. He's from India. So, uh, so we got zinc prophylaxis, and studies are going on, but I don't know that there's anything. Zinc, vitamin C, antimicrobial bilayer, nanocomposites based on the incorporation of as-synthesized hollow zinc oxide nanotubules. What do you think about that? I think I'll let you recommend one. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, so, so you got all this stuff, and it's, you know, sort of maybe, and could this help, and... Uh, the, the studies suggest that this therapy was beneficial in multiple hospitals and that that therapy might have some benefit, but uh, the studies disagree about whether this is beneficial, but there is no persuasive evidence of harm, so go ahead and do it. Vitamins excludes delayed benefit, blah, 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 blah. The con arguments, vitamins indicate that ascorbic acid and thiamine add nothing to hydroxycortisone. 
and uh, there's negative studies, and then there's uh, numerous biases and confounders, as I said. So, I did hear. But, I, did, I thought I did read something about a chloroquine that combined with zinc treatment that was a. Uh, yeah, that's promise. that's another one they're looking at. But you know, hydroxychloroquine. I think if you just if you just give it early. Uh, it, it's, it certainly uh, decreases mortality, as a study out of uh, Henry Ford Hospital up in Detroit showed. But, you know, the thing is, is it, if it's primarily the anti-inflammatory effect, then megadoses of dexamethasone or prednisone or prednisolone or one of the other corticosteroids, one of the other cortisone preparations, is probably going to do the same thing. So we may be duplicating, but as prophylaxis now, as protection against it, I think that that's where we need to really look hard. And uh, what I would like to see is somebody do a study where they polled all the physicians in the country to see how many were taking it prophylactically, how many physicians weren't taking it, and what percentage of those who weren't taking it and were active in practice uh, and exposed to patients with coronavirus came down with the virus, uh, as opposed to those who were on the Plaquenil didn't come down with the virus. That would be a good study. If I had more time, I'd do it myself, but I don't. I'm too busy working on my show and, and trying to get the public informed about all these important things. So, and, we, and we appreciated that. And, and, I, and I give you a great big kiss and hug, and you're welcome. Well, the hug be appreciated, but the kiss, you know. <laughs> the kiss, we could, especially in, in the era of COVID, please, no kissing. Hey, you know, the, this program's almost half over already. That's how much we've been talking already. Oh, my God. Does that mean you have to go to the bathroom now, Ken? You want to take a break? <laughs> Whatever you're ready, Doc. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, tribalism because this is, this is really what we're deteriorating into. I said this back in the 80s when everybody started getting tattoos and all this stuff. I said, holy moly, we're, we're deteriorating into a tribal system. You know, a bunch of little tribes here in the United States. And, of course, everybody wants their own ethnic uh blah, 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 and their own uh, crowd and their own group. But we'll be back and talk about that. I'm Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Hang in there. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Joe Biden is nearing a final decision on his running mate and is expected to announce his pick the week of August 10th. That's according to three people who spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity. That puts the announcement closer to the Democratic National Convention, which begins August 17th, than the August 1st deadline that Biden had initially indicated. Florida's east coast starting to see the first bands of heavy rain from the hurricane turned to a tropical storm yesterday. The uh, storm is going to be moving up the east coast of Florida much of the day, forecasters say, and then on up the eastern seaboard. The Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, says don't take it lightly. A wildfire north of Palm Springs, California, flared up yesterday. Evacuation orders in place for thousands of people. Crews fighting in the blaze in triple-digit heat. This is SRN. 
News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of Can Care, 727 384 Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. Can the daily recommended servings of fruits and vegetables fit into just six capsules? Yes. We start by sourcing organically grown whole fruits and vegetables. We ensure they are picked at peak ripeness. All of our produce is third-party tested for pesticides, heavy metals, bad bacteria, and nutrients. They are then washed, cut, and put through an advanced vacuum-cold process, which removes the water using pressure. This maximizes the nutritional value while preserving the color, smell, and taste of the fruit or vegetable. The freeze-dried food is then ground into a fine powder without adding any additives, fillers, or extracts. These powdered foods are then mixed in our proprietary blends and encapsulated, locking out air and moisture. The capsules are then bottled and shipped directly to our customers. Balance of Nature is now offering 35% off on any new preferred order. Go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code RESULTS. Take AM860, The Answer, with you wherever you go with our mobile app, TheAnswerTampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at Radio.com. Dr. Sebastian Gorka sees the president stepping up again. When federal court buildings are being set ablaze and the local mayor and the local chief of police does nothing, there's one person you can call it. It is the incumbent in the White House. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Weeknights at 9 on AM 930. The Answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Increasingly windy today with intervals of clouds and sunshine. We'll have an afternoon shower or heavy thunderstorm in the area. Winds up to 25 miles per hour. High today, 92. Heat index values up to 109. A mainly cloudy night for tonight with a low of 81. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder on AM 860, The Answer. 
and I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, a little travel music there. Now we're going to get into some travelism, oh boy. Mbugawea. So travelism, what is this? This is the state of being organized or advocating for tribes or a tribal lifestyle. And, you know, I'm curious about this because I have seen us, well, I mean, we probably have always been uh, divided into tribes and tribal types of systems within our country, but we've been able, I think, to uh, pull together at different times like World War II and uh, after 9-11, although that didn't last very long, now did it. So I saw this in the in the 1980s, you know, came out of the hippie era, the 60s and the 70s, and started coming back to more rational thought. And looking back and looking forward and looking around me, I started to see people uh, doing things that I had never seen before. Widespread use of tattoos, uh, sexual polymorphism, uh, weird political ideology, and splintering off into different groups. And, uh, you know, it it looked to me like, hey, we're deteriorating back into a tribal society. Uh, You know, in popular culture, tribalism is a way of thinking or behaving uh, with a social group and going with what your friends think or your your group thinks and and you have a sense of tribal identity and tribal allegiance and loyalty. Now, originally tribalism came out of, of course, family kinships uh, that uh, families would stay close together and live in villages and the extended family became the the uh, tribe or the village. And it made sense, you know, you had to have as social animals, we had to have each other and we still do in order to accomplish things. Uh, There were, of course, stricter rules that were more adhered to, and there was certainly a lot of pressure not to deviate from the norms of of the social group. And I would guess that that's where uh, laws came into play and punishment and bullying. And when somebody tried to stray from the group or transgressed against the group, then they they were punished or ostracized or whatever. So I think that the idea of a family unit or a a community unit that looks out for itself and protects itself makes normal evolutionary sense. I mean, you know, that that survival in it, along with it comes biases against people from other tribes and outside. And what modern society has tried to do over the past several uh, hundreds of years is to integrate more of the tribes together, hopefully in in the uh, belief that this will cut down on conflict, on wars, on intertribal warfare and international warfare. And so now we see uh, a a reversion, you know, a, a, a deterioration into more tribalism than we had I would say in in the 60s, where there was uh, certainly a division over the Vietnam War, but in the 70s, you know, it looked like everybody was coming back together and dancing at the discos. But, uh, you know, I think these things happen in any society. It comes and it goes. And certainly there's uh, plenty of evidence for tribalism in the United States prior to my era, my age. I mean, look at at the South and, and... before and and after the Civil War, and, you know, you had 
you had uh, the rednecks, you had the freed slaves, you had the African-American contention, you had the farming contention, you had, you had different groups that were fighting each other, and uh, so this isn't anything new, and that, that's died down. We were able to calm that down. Things are a lot better now. But now we see these new tribal groups forming. And you know what's interesting to me is the uh, the extension of these groups, and it's it's really been facilitated by uh, by the mass media and social networking on the internet. Uh, you know things like Facebook and Twitter and uh, TikTok and all these platforms that people can stay connected who from great distances who really don't have any. Uh, kinship or any uh, any family or any societal connection other than that they have common philosophies and they speak the same uh, lingo and they're interested in the same things as is is natural with herd animals you know you're going to have some that like green grass and some that like blue grass and that's just the way it is and so I, I understand that and uh, is this facilitating it though I mean you know Ken you got to think about this are we actually facilitating these riots and these groups forming in these cities, uh, Antifa or the anarchist groups? Is this uh, a bigger threat than it was, say, 100 years ago? Absolutely. Uh, you think so? Absolutely, yeah. It builds on itself. It's like a domino effect. Yeah, and that may very well be. Uh, you know, there's certainly, my son, he certainly jumped in on this and you know, for a while I was a Nazi, and uh, he went downtown in St. Pete and joined one of the marches, and then he got it out of his system, and now I'm not a Nazi anymore. Now I'm dead. Well, I'm again. glad to hear that, Doc. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been promoted, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he doesn't know what fascism is. He has no idea that it's a state-run economy with private enterprise, but the state tells the private enterprises what they want, as opposed to communism, where the state owns everything. So, uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll educate the lad. I may have to get a stick and beat him. A lot of it is people just repeat what they hear. They don't, they don't really understand what they're saying. And this is part of tribalism. Yeah. This is part of, uh, you know, folding into the social order of the group that you identify with. You know, you accept the norms and the values and the ideology uh, because you want to fit in, in part, and because it might sound good, you know. So if you're a kid in college, and you're looking at having your tuition maintained at the same level, but no classes this year, well, you're not happy. And so other kids are feeling the same way. And, of course, it's always the parent's fault. And the parent right now, the big parent is Trump, and, and, the, and the end group are the Republicans. So they're the bad guys to the kids. And that's understandable. I mean, I felt the same way at that age. You know, it wasn't my fault that that things were deteriorating in the 60s and 70s. It was the government and the parents who got us involved in Vietnam. And uh, so that that seemed pretty straightforward to me. Of course, now that I'm older, I understand a little bit more about it. But it takes time. So how do we stop this? How do we interfere with this? I don't know. I don't know that they're other than letting it run its course and or implementing martial law, which we don't want, because that's just going to inflame uh, a big part of the population even more. I don't know what we do. I think that the digital tribes uh, that are using things like social networking and websites 
can certainly be influenced by uh, what we're doing in, in government now by putting pressure on the uh, on the social media uh, moguls to not be restrictive and to allow more than just what they want in there. And of course, these guys are liberals. They're they're and that's that's natural, normal. They they want to be inclusive. They want internationalism because they're selling their product all over the world, and they want to, and a lot of the Jewish side of the family is involved in this. And of course, there's a lot of liberalism and, and Judaism and Catholicism. I got to tell you, I grew up with a Jew and a Catholic. Oh my God, I don't know how I got here, Ken. That must have been interesting. Yes, it was. And uh, you know, I got into arguments with my father all the time, and. Uh, I told you about uh, when we were arguing about FDR, and I said, Dad, you know, in, in 37, 38, the economy was as bad as it was in 1932. He said, I don't care. He gave us hope. So, you know, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a, a certain ring, a tone that strikes a chord with people, and some people will respond to it, some won't. You know, you may like jazz. I may like country. It's... it's uh, behavioral it might be partly genetic we don't know but certainly there's a behavioral aspect and you know the structure of a tribe can vary uh, depending upon the community and the the number of people that feel the same way and the role playing within each of these uh, subgroups these uh, these uh, tribes and it's been an important aspect of our human evolution Will it continue to be? You know, there are a lot of sociologists who say, no, this is a bad thing, that it promotes warfare and it promotes uh, division among people, and we should be working towards unity, not only nationally but internationally as as a race, as a species, or we won't survive. Other sociologists say, well, wait a minute. The pressures that tribalism has put on humanity has forced it to advance, that warfare has brought about and conflict has brought about uh, a number of uh, technological and uh, medical and uh, sociological innovations that have forced us to enlarge our brains and continue to uh, evolve into a better species. It's a hard way to do it, but it, it, they're true. I mean, it, you can't deny that. No, you can't deny that. That that a lot of uh, a lot of good positive things have come out of bad wars. Uh, whether it's transfusions or intravenous therapy. I mean, IVs, the, the use of IV needles started after the Civil War. Jet aircraft. Like, yeah, you know, canned food started with the Civil War. It was a way to get, get spam came out of the Civil War, yeah. and that was one of the first canned goods. Uh, you know, um, plastic surgery was was uh, founded after World War One because of all the terrible uh, damage that was done to people's faces and limbs and ears lost and, and so a, a subgroup of surgeons got interested in rebuilding um, people's bodies and faces with their own tissue, plastic surgery. And so, you know, uh, transfusions, uh, serum, blood transfusions, antibiotics were popularized uh, and spread rapidly by World War II with the discovery of penicillin and then sulfur drugs. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things that have come out of, of bad situations. And there's a lot of good things that have come out of good situations. You know, you think about the space program and the tribe, the culture that uh, engendered that 
And oh my gosh, if nothing else, it brought us Tang, which most <laughs> kids don't know what it is. Do they still have a, Tang out there? Is it still there? I don't know. Is I that still a thing? It. I don't know. I have no idea, but it was like a powdered orange juice, and they gave it to the astronauts. Remember, they drank it in yeah. space. <laughs> and all the kids wanted Tang. <laughs> and they use it in their marketing endlessly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was great. So, but good things have come out of it, and uh, you can't deny that. We've learned a lot about ourselves and our technology is advanced because of the positivism of space exploration and international cooperation. So there are, are areas where we cooperate and areas where we don't. And uh, how do we get the tribes together and keep them from killing each other? Well, martial law, obviously, is, is what... Uh, has been the solution over the millennia that when the tribes get out of control, then the uh, the government or a despot comes in and puts down his foot, and that's the end of it. And it looks like that's what's going to happen if, if this doesn't calm down. I know the Democrats want to prevent that, and I think that Trump, even though he yells and screams about jumping in and doing something, I don't think he wants to do anything. I think this guy's basically a pacifist. I haven't seen him really... Uh, you know, he's he's committed a few troops here and there around the world and domestically, but overall, I wouldn't say he's a passive. I think he's cautious. He's very cautious, and you want a cautious, cautious. president. You really yeah. do. So you know, when he could have gone after Iran a couple of times when he said, "Oh, yeah. okay, oh, yeah. hang on, we'll just sit back for a second. Well, let's say that he is a big dog who barks loud, but yeah. he, he rarely bites. He's more uh, more of a guard dog than an attack dog. Mm. And that's okay. You know, that's his personality. I can't argue with that. So the idea that one tribe uh, is pitted against another tribe, and of course, this is great in an, in an election year to, to pit these tribes against each other because then you have more clear definition and then you try to appeal to your tribe and your tribe's tribes, their, their you know, associates, their 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 allies in order to get more votes. And, you know, the Democrats talk about uh, socialization of government, uh, of, of public needs through the government. And the Republicans say, wait a minute, we're a free enterprise society. That's not going to work. And you'll just destroy the economy. And the Democrats say, well, the economy is bloated and we need to pare it down anyway. And, and, when you start doing that and you start uh, pointing industry into certain directions and saying, we want you to produce this, we don't want you to produce that, then guess what? Then that's fascism. And when you have a monolithic party that uh, pushes that sort of thing, then certainly that's what fascism is. When you start to take away somebody's dreams, you know what I mean? Yeah. um, I've always dreamt of being a doctor. Well, I'm sorry, but we need engineers. Yeah, and that's what happens in the Orient. That's what happened to my wife's nephew in, in uh, Korea, as I told you guys last week. And in China, the same thing. We saw that when we were over there, that if you weren't bright enough to, uh, if you didn't make the grades in, in high school to get into a program, well, you know, you didn't even get to compete. So here's what's open to you. You can go in this, or you can just be a bum on the street. And uh, so, you know, the kids, they say, well, I don't want to be a geologist, but that's all there is open to me. I wanted to be a graphic artist, but I didn't get in. So 
there's no second chances in a lot of these cultures. Whereas in our culture, you screw up in high school, you can redeem yourself. And I know people have done that. They didn't do well. And then they went back uh, after a few years off and they got their masters in chemistry or physiology or anatomy. And then from there, they went on to medical school. I'm, one of my nephews did that. He, he was a daydreamer and uh, he had to get his master's before he could apply to medical school. But then once he had that, because of the second chance, he was able to get where he wanted to go, Ken. And, and that's, that's the beauty of, uh, of having an open society and not shoehorning everybody into a specific uh, niche. And, and I think the tribalism is going to push that nicheism more. And that's why we have, to, we have to fight against this as much as we can. And that's not to say that we shouldn't have uh, close ties with families and, and kinships. And, uh, you know, the, the sociologists tell us that our brains, uh, that the primate brain, depending on the size, can only hold so many people in there as close kin. So in humans, let's say it's 150, and, and chimpanzees, let's say it's 100, and you don't see many troops of chimpanzees much larger than 40 or 50. That's a big troop. So it might be even a smaller number. Now, some people say, well, now that we're uh, advanced more and we have more uh, electronic connection with each other, we can have a larger uh, group that we feel comfortable in that we don't necessarily have to have uh, rules for. Now, when you get above uh, about 250 people, then all of a sudden you have to have some kind of order. And you've been to conventions, Ken, where there's lectures and all that. And somebody takes over because you get 250 to 500 people who are all interested in the same thing, let's say broadcasting or uh, producing a radio show. Well, still, you have to have some order because the rules will break down otherwise. Especially so in radio, can... just got people talking endlessly. So somebody's yeah, got to oh, yeah. yeah. tell you to shut up. <laughs> Unlike me, I never talk endlessly. I, uh, I'm very reserved. <laughs> Appropriate in my no, you're right. You need leadership. You do. Yeah. So then leadership rules and regulations step in. Everybody has to wear a name tag. You have to sign in. Everybody needs to know who everybody is. Uh, there are uh, assigned areas for seating and the stages for the presenters. And uh, there's a moderator. And, you know, there's breaks. Things have to be planned. You can't just come and go as you please. Otherwise, uh, it would be chaos. Need organization. Then, That's right. Yeah, so, so you get to a certain level of people and the tribal, uh, the tribal informality where the rules are known to everybody and uh, you don't have to have them written down, that becomes uh, uh, no longer functional. And then you have to have larger group rules that have to be written down. And then as it builds into a city and a state and a nation, then you have to have more formalized laws, and that's how this evolves and develops. And so if you allow a tribe to disrupt society, a society that already has formed rules and regulations, and you say, well, this is a normal part of, of, the, of the society to have some uh, rebellion, and, and that, that's probably true. You're not going to be able to end rebellion completely, and it does give people some catharsis. At what point do you step in? and say enough is enough. So at what, what point do you step in when uh, crowds for two months are trying to burn down the federal courthouse in Portland? Nice city, beautiful city. I've been there. 
but oh my gosh, I told you I rode my bike downtown and just stunk from the bums doing their business here, there, and everywhere, and alcohol and broken bottles. Uh, what a pretty city destroyed by that kind of nonsense. Now, one of my friends, when I was talking about this, and I said, look, you got this going on in Seattle. He said, oh, it's like the south side of St. Pete. Uh, it's a bad area, and the police don't want to go down there. What are you talking about? There was a police station right in the middle of it. You know, <laughs> like, are, you, are we on the same page here? Are we on the same planet? But, you know, this is the kind of, uh, the kind of, of myths that arise around uh, the deterioration into a tribal society that, well, this is just, just part of it, and there are certain tribal areas you don't want to go in because you'll get killed. Well, you know what? The St. Pete police may not want to go to downtown south side of St. Pete because it's a poor black area with a lot of crime, but they don't want to do anything. I can't get them. You know, I've had them out to my office trying to press charges against employees who've stolen from me, Ken. They don't want to do it. Really? Mm, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that's not what we're paying them for. No. Yeah. The Gulfport police, you call them and they're there before you hang up the phone with their guns drawn. I'm like, what is There's some real disconnect here between the St. Pete police, the Gulfport, Florida police and the county police. You know, the St. Pete police, if your car breaks down in the middle of the road, they're like, get the get that thing off the road, buddy. My car stopped up at uh, Pasadena Avenue and Gulfport Boulevard, which is a fairly busy intersection for for the small town area that we live in, the bedroom community of St. Petersburg. You know, there's tens of thousands of cars that go by there every day. And, and this county cop, he just came up behind me and said, hey, you need a push. I said, yeah. And he pushed me off into a parking lot. I was so grateful. You know, the St. Pete police would come up there and give you a ticket. <laughs> for blocking traffic. You're right. For yeah. blocking traffic. Yeah. You know, you'd show you. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so uh, the analogies that people use are sometimes um, incorrect. And I think that with tribalism, too, when you get a group of people together and they have an analogy that feels good but is incorrect, that can lead to a lot of uh, misunderstanding and it can take that tribe and that tribalism and their, their beliefs and their, their actions off in the wrong direction, which is, is why we need to fight that aspect of tribalism. We need to encourage family units and family values, but at the same time, we need to discourage misinformation. And I think that's partly what, uh, what the uh, Congress, uh, or at least the Senate's trying to do in, in calling these, uh, these uh, moguls of the of the electronic press in and saying, what, what are you doing here? You know, you're slanting society in the wrong direction. We're trying to pull everybody together and you're being divisive. And they say, well, no, we're not. The, the stuff that the right wingers are saying is divisive. Well, who are you to make that judgment? Who is your tribe better than my tribe? Does your tribe have the truth and I don't? So those, these are questions that we have to ask each other. And we have to remind the kids, too, who uh, are separating into these groups, we have to remind them that you got to be open-minded. you got to extend yourself beyond what you consider to be your social gang or your tribe or your group or your tattoo group or, wh or whatever it is. So we're going to... We're going to get out of here in a minute. I guess Ken's playing music. He wants me to get off the air.
You going to play some music for oh, me? I'm, I'm going to put the tribal music back on to end the show here. Okay. All right. You, you let me know when you've had enough of me because I'm getting tired of talking, too, and you can just play some tribal music, say, about 20 seconds before the end. you got 30 seconds left. So give another 10 seconds. Say goodbye to everyone. We'll wipe it out with the uh, tribal music. Goodbye, everybody. I love you. <laughs> Tribalism is here forever. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. See you next week. <laughs>